You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams. Good afternoon, Bruce. How are you today? Good afternoon. Um, yeah, doing well. Healthy, alive. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to kick up the pandemic again, saying we're all going to die. So, you know. Really? Is that the talking point over there now? Uh, I mean, that's, uh, that's in the news a lot. They're saying we need to shut down again, you know. Well, I mean, the Fed's saying we need to shut down again. Yeah, Completely I mean, they're health experts. Hard shut down. They're health experts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, best course, you can get. Best money mm-hmm. can buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Best money can buy. Exactly. Uh huh. Couple of things about uh, about that, which we're going to get into some of that because I want to talk about the Fed's role in all of this when we get into 2030 uh, coming up this week. So I want to I want to get into like the Fed's kind of you know the stances that they're taking and what they're doing, and really they're going all the way down to the municipal level and they're buying up the municipal bonds now. They've been doing that for quite some time. And so they're mm-hmm. they're essentially they're buying up municipalities debt. So they're they're doing all of that and they're leaving businesses hanging out to dry. The the mom and pop stores, they don't care about them. They they don't care about them. It's the big businesses, the conglomerates, the international businesses, that's all they care about. They don't care about the the little guy. So I want to get into what the Fed's role is this week. They've been off in their predictions, but they keep them so well spread out that you can't really you can't base anything off of it. And I know that investors always say, well, yes, we're going to watch what the Fed has to say. But really, does it even carry any weight anymore? Neil Kashkari, who's the president of the, is it the Minneapolis Fed that he works for now? Uh, is it Minneapolis or was it like I think, Tennessee or something? Uh, no, I think it's Minneapolis. No, I think it's Minneapolis. It, okay. And he, now the thing about Kashkari is, okay, so you, people say, who's Neil Kashkari? Okay, well, now he's the head of the uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. I'm pretty sure that's the one. But before that, what did he do? Well, he was, I know that he worked for PIMCO, but he was an executive VP, I think, of PIMCO. And so, okay, well, where was he before that? How do you know him before that? Well, he was the guy that oversaw the TARP bailout program. You remember that in 08? He was known as the $700 billion man or the $800 billion man, however much money. Mm-hmm. Basically, it was a blank check. That's all it was. But he was the guy that oversaw the bailout. But now he's out there working for the Fed because before he previously worked for Treasury, and then of course he went to be a, he went he went on to uh, work at Pimco for a while, but now he's back at the Fed and he's out there calling for a six week hard lockdown, hard lockdown. Why? Why? Why is a bank calling for the economy to shut down? Why? And that's some of the stuff we're going to get into later this week because none of that lines up. Like that doesn't make any sense. You, you hear a Fed chairman come out and talk about how we need to shut the economy down for public health. What all of a sudden? You're, you're a banker. All of a sudden, you care about public health. All you care about is making money. People like that don't give a damn about public health. So I want to get into um, I want to get into some of that later this week. But anyway, speaking of that kind of stuff, right? Speaking of all this thing, you say that's flaring back up, or it's that's the talking point now. It's flaring back up. Yeah. Well, we're gonna hear. They're, about they're that. saying it's flaring up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's dead. come on. That's crap. Where's the deaths? If it's flaring back up, where's the deaths? Not there. But Fauci, right? Now Fauci's come out. 
you know, um, is it um, what, what is it? I've heard him called Saint Fauci. You know, he's a saint now. Saint Fauci, yeah. Saint Fauci, yes. He's come out and he's made a statement and he says that he believes normalcy will return by the end of 2021, but but only with a vaccine. See, we have to have a vaccine. See, that's the only thing that's going to work here. That, that's the only thing that's going to work. See, nothing else is going to work. You have to trust that he's going to, of course, he doesn't have any investments in the vaccines or anything. You know, of course no, not. No, no, no. And, you know, guys that uh, that happen to, I don't know, happen to have the, the vaccine development program, such as, oh, I don't know, Bill Gates, you know, he, he's essentially saying the same thing. Got to have a vaccine. We don't have a choice. Isn't that what he said? We don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We, yeah, we got we got to go about all this. We, we have to do this because a vaccine is your only saving grace, right? It's do as you're told. Shut up. Get in your house if we tell you to. Don't come out and we will give you a vaccine and let you know when it's safe to come out. You know, I don't like people talking to me like that. And I don't like people talking to countries like that. I don't like people talking to my fellow citizens like that. I, I don't like that. But Fauci, and we'll talk about that in a minute, because I'm, I'm not alone when I say that. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Fauci has said that now, now, mind you, he says that he expects the U.S. could be as good as back to normal as we possibly can be, as we possibly can be. Now, see, even with that statement, you know what he means? That means nothing's going to go back to the way it was. That's what that means. By the end of 2021, if a coronavirus vaccine becomes widely available, well, see, it can't just be created it's got to be widely available. And he says this doesn't mean that the virus would be completely eradicated. Of course not. Of course not. See, it's never going to be eradicated. It's never it's, uh, see because this is what they're going to use from here on out. We can get it under mm-hmm. good. We can get it under good enough control that is so low that it doesn't interfere with the kind of normal life that we want to get the economy. Uh huh. So we want to get the economy. We want to get the employment back, right? But yet, if you were to look at it now, so. Three one hundredths of one percent. That's not low enough. That's not low enough. What is low enough? Three one hundredths of one percent is the mortality rate of this. So what is low enough? You want to put another zero in there? Is, is it low enough then? What is low enough? That's the question. And what did he say? What did he say? He revised the state. First, it was just, oh, we got to flatten the curve. We got to knock the curve down, right? We're still knocking that curve down for some reason. But then he came out later and he kind of screwed up a little bit. He said, well, we can't get back to normal until there are no new cases. See, th- there can't be any cases at all anymore. So if anybody gets a cold, then we have to shut society down. So someone asked him if it would be as late as 2024, because, of course, you know, that's still about the halfway point of vaccine development because it takes seven years to develop a working vaccine, typically. But like I said, they're doing this one less than two. But Fauci says, I don't think it's going to be 2024. I think it's going to be more like the end of 2021. So he knows that they're going to have that ready by then, uh, which, to be honest with you, I mean, I'll just be upfront about this. They've already got it. They've already got it. They, they've already got it. They're, they're going through the steps because they don't want to alarm anybody. They're going through the steps now to try and make it look like they have all this stuff. And they're getting some testing and they're gathering data in the process of this. But whatever they've got that they want to make sure that you get, they've already got it. They, they already have that, believe me. Fauci said that last week, there are not great chances that an eventual vaccine will be 98% effective. Instead, he's arguing that the vaccine will likely reduce a person's risk of infection by 50 or 60%. Huh. Okay. So that's not good enough. Because if that's if that's all that it is, well, you're still going to be dealing with the same mortality rate. So what's the point of the vaccine? The FDA, right? The FDA, the Food and Drug Administration in the United States, right? The FDA, not being pressured, of course, right? Not not being pressured, not being pressured. They only require a 50 percent effectiveness for approval. I'd have to talk to GP on that. 
I'd like to know why that is. Why wouldn't you want it higher than that? If it's only 50% effective, if they only require 50% effectiveness rate, well, then why would you even have one? What's the point? So he goes on to say, Fauci does, he goes on to say, you've got to think of the vaccine as a tool to be able to get the pandemic to no longer be a pandemic. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's not one now. The CDC is even talking about removing it as a pandemic because there are no deaths. But the WHO, I don't know if you saw this or not, Bruce, the WHO is actually trying to redefine what a pandemic is. They're in the process of doing that now. They're trying to redefine it. They're trying to make it to where one death would be considered a pandemic. Hmm. That's not problem problematic for the free world. No, of course not. Of course not. Hmm. But anyway, so that's what Fauci says. That's what he says. So we've got to get ourselves down to that point. Um, I don't see that being attainable because, I mean, essentially it's what we talked about yesterday. They're outlawing a cold and flu. That's what they're doing. So if anybody, I mean, what's a coronavirus? It's a cold. It's a common cold. We haven't found a cure for the common cold in 2000 years. What makes you think we're going to find one now within less than two? Makes no sense. That's not logical thinking at all. And I'm sorry, these people are going to find it? If that's the case, if they had such a beat on this thing, if they had such a laser focused bit of research, then why haven't they found one yet? Why haven't they found one yet? Bruce, you've talked about this before. Why is it that we don't have a cure for the common cold? There's so many mutations of it, right? Everyone yeah. experiences yeah, it differently. Mutates. Everybody's yeah. Everybody's body reacts differently. And then that mutation gets pushed onto someone else and then it mutates again and again and again and again. So there's no definitive way to find an actual vaccine to that particular cold. There's no way to find a cure for it. And it keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. So I think the whole thing is is irrelevant. And on top of that, the deaths aren't there. The mortality rate's not there, but they're beating this dead horse. This this is not a viable excuse any longer. You've heard the term beating the dead horse. Okay, well, this thing's laying up dead in the town square and it's half of its body's decomposed and there's maggots all over it. Okay, that's how much of a dead horse this thing is. And they keep on with it and they keep on with it. But in reality, they keep on with it. Why? I think there might be a way to actually knock all this down. And the reason I say that is because look at the doctors that have come out and have come out publicly against this agenda. And what do they do? They argue that this drug, uh, this this old um, malaria drug, this hydroxychloroquine, they argue that drug, right, is now what they promote. Mm-hmm. They say, oh, well, we've had fantastic success with that. OK. All right. Which, I mean, SARS-1, it was used to treat, right? They found that it was highly effective and it pretty much got rid of it altogether. But yet all of that was taken off the shelves before all this. France, as a matter of fact, you could buy it over the counter. But in January, they banned it and turned it into a Schedule II drug. Why? Why would they do that? If it's just an over-the-counter drug and you can buy it, but all of a sudden it goes to Schedule 2, so it's the same as oxycodone? It's classified the same as oxycotton's? That, that doesn't make any sense. And you think, okay, well, what about all these doctors that, that come out and publicly say that, uh, that this is, you know, they have success with this on their patients? Well, they get shut down. They get banned off of whatever accounts they've got. They have their credibility ruined. They get doxxed. Isn't that what we're seeing? Well, now, why would they do that? The WHO doesn't agree with that statement, so they have to be canceled, Right. That's what it is. Okay. Well, if you go back, and we actually looked this up, if if you go back and you look at the Virology Journal, okay, you you say, okay, well, what's the Virology Journal? Okay. That's the official publication of the National Institute of Health, of which Dr. Anthony Fauci is the head of the, what is it? The Infectious Diseases and Allergic, whatever, Allergy portion of it? Allergies, yeah. Something like that. Infectious Diseases and Allergies, yeah. Okay. So he's the head of that department. And this is the National Institute of Health's official publication. They published an article on August 22nd of 2005, which was about the, weren't we seeing SARS-CoV-1 during that time? 
Isn't uh, roughly right around that time? W weren't we seeing that? SARS, yeah, SARS was uh, about 2003 is when we had the pandemic. Okay, all right. So yeah. yeah, all right. So you throw you throw in um, you throw in possible research. You throw mm -hmm. in uh, time to find out results, uh, long term results and effects. Right? You okay? Couple of years. I can see that. I can see mm -hmm. that. That's usually about how long it takes for medical research, right? Because you don't know things right away, especially when it comes to long-term exposure to a drug that's that could be used to treat it. Okay, but what did <laughs> they find? Long-term exposure to a drug. Long-term exposure to a drug that's been around for fifty years. But yeah, anyway. Well, see, that's just that's a side issue, Bruce. See, that's not important. <laughs> that's not important, right? It, not the fact that it's off patent or anything, and no one's going to make any money on it. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay, so August 22nd, 2005, Virology Journal, the article, the heading of that article was published as this. This is the heading of the article. Chloroquine is a potent inhibitor of SARS coronavirus infection and spread. Huh. Okay. The researchers wrote, and this is their quote from the article, we report that chloroquine has strong antiviral effects on SARS-CoV infection of primate cells. Okay. These inhibitory effects are observed when the cells are treated with the drug either before or after exposure to the virus. Listen to this. Suggesting both prophylactic and therapeutic advantage. Huh. Well, that's awful convenient that they just happened to remove this drug. I mean, if it treats SARS-CoV-1, which was a coronavirus, then which they actually state that in the header of the article, right? SARS coronavirus infection and spread, right? This is their own publication. And they say that you get treated either before being a prophylactic, you know, a, a protective form or after exposure to the virus, which what have we heard? What have we heard? We've heard stories. We've heard doctors giving their results, talking about how they've treated patients with it. And what happens within 12 to 18 hours, they're symptom free and they're out of the hospital. They're on their way home. Should also be noted that coronavirus, the SARS-1 uh, virus, the first one, is 73% similar to SARS-CoV-2. So whatever would work on the first SARS is likely to work on this SARS. Are you saying it stands to reason that it's possible that this drug might work on this one? Mm. Is that what you're saying? That, that is exactly what I'm saying. Huh. But they but they removed it, said there's no study to support that that's ever been used. And it, it's not it's not effective at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, gee, who put that report out? Oh, it was Bill Gates. Ah, silly me. So according to this, if that's the case, we're talking about the publication again, August 22nd, 2005, Virology Journal. That means, of course, Fauci knew, which Fauci has been the head of that particular department of the NIH for 40 years so it's safe to say that 15 years ago he was there and he knew about it. Safe to say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 15 years, right? 15 years ago, because that's how long ago it was. 15 years ago, of course, Fauci was there. Now, he must have known that chloroquine and even the milder portion of it, which is what's it called? Hydroxychloroquine. Hold on. Uh, it's 17 years, by the way. 17 years? And to that, no, I'm talking about 2003 was the 2005. Was the article uh, 2005? Okay, my, yes. My apologies. Yes. Yeah. No, you're fine. 2005. So Fauci would have known that the actual hydroxychloroquine wouldn't only treat a case of coronavirus as a therapeutic, right? But it would also prevent future cases being used as a prophylactic, as a preventative. So what did they write? They determined that hydroxychloroquine, which again was the milder derivative of chloroquine, functions as both a quote cure and a form of a vaccine. The NIH said this in 2005. Concentrations 
of 10 parts per million completely abolished the SARS-CoV infection. They went on to add, the researchers, they went on to add that chloroquine, which is the stronger portion of it, can effectively reduce the establishment of infection and spread of SARS-CoV. Okay, um, let's look at the dosage, right? Bruce, what did, what did you say about the dosage? 10 parts per million, how much is that? So I turned that into a percentage and 10 parts per million in a percent is 0.001%. So... Uh, when you're looking at dosage, I honestly don't really know the the science behind making a dosage. However, that 0.001% would be a very small number if you're equating that to body weight. If that's the only statistic you use for body weight calculations, yeah, you're you're looking at like micrograms roughly. I think it was like 1.8 micrograms or something okay. in that range. So, so you're basically you're basically saying that a drug that costs pennies to make already would actually be effective in even a smaller dosage, according to that research paper in that article that they published in 2005, to possibly work against what we're seeing now. But why would they pull all of that off the shelf? Why would they come there's, out and publish papers? Go ahead. There, there's a small caveat with that. So okay. when you're figuring um, those tests that they did, when you, when you look at what they did, uh -huh. I think what they were doing, uh, unless... They were actually testing it on primates, but if it was just a petri mm -hmm. dish test, mm -hmm. they just took the hydroxychloroquine and put it into the petri dish with the, okay. the virus and okay. watched the results. So it takes a much smaller dosage to do that in a, in a petri dish than it does inside of a, a, a living organism. So okay. right. in the case of if, if you were taking it as a, a, you know, a medication or something, it would be greater than the, the small percentage that, that I was quoting there. Nonetheless, the, the, it's not, it's not going to be a huge difference, right? It's still going to be a small dosage and that's still what, what they're saying this, this does a, a small dosage of this, especially combined with zinc. Um, is very effective. So, how dare you spread conspiracy theories like that? How dare you? <laughs> We've just been canceled off of YouTube and Facebook, <laughs> right? <Twitter. laughs> but uh, we're quoting their own research. Yeah, you know, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're quoting their own research. Now, you can criticize all the doctors out there you want. You say, oh, they're all conspiracy theorists. OK, fine. But we're polling the National Institute of Health from their own journal, their own publication. So why is it that they're coming out? This is what you have to ask yourself. Why is it they're coming out and they're saying that this is largely ineffective? There's no proof that it works. It, why? Because they want you dependent on them because there, there's no talk of any kind of therapeutic. You notice there's never been any talk of any kind of therapeutic except for what? Remdesivir. Well, who approved mm -hmm. who approved remdesivir? OK, after it failed the trials, it failed the trials. Two weeks later, it was approved for use. Who has massive investments in remdesivir? Gee, I wonder Would his name be Anthony Fauci stands to reason why he'd push for that one to be approved. And they're going to charge you over three thousand dollars a dose for it when you've got one out there that costs pennies to make, has a 75 percent similarity in SARS-CoV-1 and SARS-CoV-2, roughly. So it stands to reason that it's possible it could work. I just I just had a thought here. So with that, right, we're already of the opinion that they're they're hiding this stuff to try to make it worse than it is, right? That, that's that's kind of what we're yes. we're saying here. Yeah. However, I just had the thought that one of the one of the arguments that the left has right now and why they should why we should destroy the entire system is because corrupt capitalists 
have gone in and are screwing over you know, our medical system. They're, they're charging way too much money for it and so on and so forth. And I just had a thought with hydroxychloroquine being a possible effective medication, right, uh, according to the research and how they're, they're saying downplaying it and all that. And then they, they take remdesivir, which they have chronic capitalism, right? They have investments in that and they're wanting to push a failed medication uh, to try to uh, treat it. That continues to push the narrative that the left uses that we have to destroy the system because uh, of this. So not only does it not help, but it also helps push the narrative. So yeah, just, just kind of a little thought I had there. It helps push the narrative. But if they were to come out and release all of that information, if they if they were to come out and say, yeah, OK, well, we have this drug called hydroxychloroquine. And yes, we we made sure that it was pulled away. See, they're, they're already exposed here. Right. See, that's the problem. They're, they've already leveraged themselves out to the positions that they're in. So they can't go back. It's like they walked into the room. And the door slammed shut and it locked behind them. So they can't go back now. They're committed. These people are at war. Now, I know that that's a tough concept to grasp, but they're at war. They're at war and the average person out there is not. This is the disconnect. They're at war based on a lie. It's a lie that they themselves created and gave to the world. So guess what? They're fighting a war on that lie. They have to stay with it. It's like any war. It's easy to get in, but it's 10 times harder to get out of there. So they can't go back. They, they can't go back. If they want their agenda at all, then they have to continue on. They have to stay relevant. They have to stay the center of attention. But if they admit fault, if they admit fault, this is why, again, I've said governments and the like, they never admit fault. They always double down. Well, they have to double down. They have to continue to double down. This is what we're seeing with the World Economic Forum. What we're seeing with the United Nations, they're not going to admit fault. They're puppet governments. They're not going to admit fault. They're going to double down. They always have to double down. So if they were to come out now, admit fault, what happens? Governments lose whatever shred of credibility they got left, and they're losing it fast. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The medical establishment is going to be completely distrusted. No one trusts them now because they're using governments as tools to enforce these draconian policies onto the population based on false science. If they allow an effective treatment to be put out to the world that they already have, if they allow that, the agenda falls apart. They fall apart. They go away. They get prosecuted for what they've done. By them keeping the information from the average public, that's a crime against humanity in and of itself. If you've got a virus that you've cooked up in a lab, which that's what it is, and it's been introduced onto the world, and you're turning it into a power grab to manipulate, control, and reshape society, and there's a simple cure out there for it, and you run the establishments that have it removed from people's access, that's a crime against humanity. How is it not? How is it not? All right, so before we jump to what's going on where I'm at, before we get there, this last aspect of this here, which we touched on it with the Fed, saying that they want a six-week hard lockdown. Six weeks. Why, why would you, why, if you're a finance person, why would you come out and say that? But they're not the only ones saying it. So now they're talking about um, <clears throat> flare-ups, right? I'm doing the air quotes, flare-ups all over the mm -hmm. world. Uh, it's all over the world. And now they're saying, the medical establishment, they're saying we need forced isolation now, right? See, they have to force us into economic capitulation, but they're using a cooked up pandemic to do it. That's the agenda that they're using to carry it. See, it's like a virus. A virus can't survive without some kind of a host, right? Well, the virus is the medical and the corrupt finance capital. That's the virus. And the carrier 
is the governments in the pandemic. That's the carrier of the virus. Sorry. Go ahead. So they're they're calling for a, a an isolation, like forced isolation, as you said. But it's not so it's not what what you're thinking. And like they're they're wanting another lockdown. It's not just another lockdown. It's a you're isolated from other human beings. So you would be locked down in your own home. But in your own home, you would be locked down away from each other. So, you know, you would be in forced isolation from the other people in your home if there's any others or a forced isolation in the sense of you're mandated to stay like uh, at, a, at a designated location for whatever time that they're saying. Uh, so they're they're wanting a full on complete shutdown of everything. And you're completely I- isolated from one another, which How about no, by the way. How yeah. about no? Uh, just other than the fact they can't do that here in the U.S. legally. But that aside, you, you look at the science behind it. The places that had huge lockdowns and they released the people again, the virus is only going to surge again because there was no herd immunity created. Whereas if you mitigate uh, the the extreme exposure cases, which is... Uh, typically what leads to uh, the hospitalization, right? Or in, in some cases, if you can mitigate that, uh, do the social distancing and the mask wearing and blah, 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 whatever. If you can mitigate that and, and lower the exposure rate, but not shut anything down, you get herd immunity across the board, you know, across the, your populace. And as such, you don't have to worry about the virus anymore. You can just go back to your your lives. I mean, just like we've done with every other pandemic, but they're wanting to shut it down, which means you're going to only have another spike when things open up again. And then they're going to be like, oh, well, you know, there's another spike. So we're going to have to shut down again. So, you know, uh, you guys weren't wearing your mask and socially distancing like you were supposed to. So we have to shut everything down again is what they'll tell you. They need the precedent to bring it into a seat by that. By that strategy alone, it allows them to maintain control of the agenda. Mm -hmm. So they can be the administrators. They can turn society on. They can turn society off. They can ratchet the economy down. See, they need to bring it down in a form of a controlled collapse. That's what they need to do. And they're not getting it right now. See, economies are opening back up. People are saying, uh, the hell with you. We're going to work. See, they can't have that. They can't have that. They need everything shut off. Do, Do you understand? These people are so sick. They're trying to turn off civilization. That's where they are. Now, I know that you say, well, you can't just do that. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to turn off civilization because they want to bring in a new form of civilization. So everything that we once knew has to be bulldozed. That's where they're at. The Great Reset. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. Everything's going to change. Every person's going to be affected. So we've talked about it. The agenda of societal change. It's coming, but there's still a way to stop it. I believe there's still a way to stop it. And you've got people that are not going along with the program. They're not going along with the program. Uh, I feel like we're kind of beating a dead horse here when we say this, but I, I can't I can't quite make enough emphasis on it after what I found out today. People heard us talking about Berlin and what's going on in Berlin. People heard us talking about it last week. We were talking about it you know, later on a few days ago. And I think we even made mention to it again yesterday. OK, well, what's going on in Berlin? One point three million people were in the streets two weeks ago. Okay. well, come to find out that's the second protest that happened. The first one, the media completely ignored. They didn't even pay it lip service. They didn't care. So it got bigger until they couldn't ignore it. One million three hundred thousand roughly showed up in Berlin. And what does the media do? Well, they show up and they say, oh, yeah, 20,000 people showed up here. 
That's no big deal. It's no big deal. Just just 20,000 people. Nothing to see here. Well, the Germans have said, no, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. And so they've decided that they're going to organize another one because they want more people. And they've not just invited Germany. They've invited the world. Anyone who wants to come here, right where I'm at, anybody who wants to come here, it's a global invitation. They're making specific invitations to United States residents, Canadian residents, Australian residents, the English bloc countries. They want you to come here. They want you to join them in the streets to protest this, this farce. And you say, okay, well, if I come there, well, then there's a there's a quarantine. They've already planned for that. Okay. Got to go through a 14 day quarantine. No problem. No problem. The protest is going to happen on August 29th. So it's two weeks from now, two weeks from today. So if you get here, if you're already here, if you happen to get here in the next few days, you go through it, you're fine and you can join them. But they want peaceful protests. That's what they're calling for. No masks, no social distancing. You're going to march down to the Brandenburg Gate, which is right across the street from the German parliament, and you're going to show your distaste for this. To be honest with you, I'm thinking about going. <laughs> I'm thinking about going. That's quite a long haul up there, but it's a. am thinking about going. Ron Paul, right? Those in America, you, you know who Ron Paul is. Most of you do if you're, if you're listening. Ron Paul was a... Um, was a person in the House of Representatives, uh, for those that are not from the U.S. that don't know who he is, he was a person in the House of Representatives for, uh, he was up there for 30 years, and he was anything but your typical career politician. The man stood on principle, and he was true founding father material. Uh, and it, it, when he wasn't in Congress, he was back at his own practice, and he was performing free medical care like his son does now, who's a senator from Kentucky, I might add. But Ron Paul, he also ran for president several times, and the man made a um, made a lot of good points, and uh, and I've, I always supported him. Uh, and I, I believe in the things that he put forward as, as far as, you know, even on the economy, his economical standpoints, spot on. He uh, he believed in sound money, but nonetheless, all right, side issue. But he's come out. He's made a public statement about what the Germans are organizing and what they're doing by inviting. I hope you're paying attention, people. There's an awakening happening and you're not alone. This is the global awakening and it will be impossible to keep the lid on this for much longer. You see, the Germans get it. They get it. And, and to be honest with you, I... I'm impressed. I'm impressed by what they're doing. Uh, and, and I support them 120% if it's possible. Uh, and it would be an honor to stand alongside you up there. But this kind of behavior, this kind of peaceful assembly to address your government for a redress of grievances, this type of thing, this is what America was founded on, these types of principles, to stand at the feet of a totalitarian state at its inception and say, no. Protests like this should be happening in all Western nations, not just Germany, should be happening in France, should be happening in England, should be happening in Italy, in Spain, in the Netherlands, in America, in Canada, all the above. To hell with their rules. To hell with their damn orders. They know what they're doing is wrong. It's our responsibility as freedom loving people of wherever you come from to understand this is not about one country. This affects all of us. I've said that time and again. I don't care where you're from. Forget that. We got to put that aside. We'll deal with that later. This cabal of people have to fall. Your thoughts on Berlin, Bruce? I applaud them. I, I you know, I'm actually really surprised as well that they're 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 going all out like this. Disappointed that the media is not covering it. I kind of hoped that there was some media out there that didn't have a bias that wasn't trying to topple our civilization. But it doesn't seem that way, does it? Honestly, if, if I was able to, I would totally go out there and <laughs> join them. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. Yes, I, I'm, I'm 
glad somebody's standing up and doing something. As am I. And, uh, you know, I've been thinking about it all day uh, since I found this out this morning. Uh, I, I've been thinking about the action that uh, that the Germans are taking and what they've done by uh, inviting the world, especially, you know, us and uh, and the Canadians and the Australians, you know, and anybody else that wants to come. Uh, that that means a lot. That that means a lot that the organizers are specifically asking for us. And that, that means a lot to me. And it, you know, it gives me goosebumps uh, when, when I just think about that. And whether or not we're physically there, which I, I'm really tempted to go up there, whether or not we're physically there, we recognize, at least most of us do, uh, whether we show it or not, we recognize that this is the problem that needs to be dealt with. And we stand with you. And we hope that this can be resolved peacefully. We hope, I'll say that again, we hope that this can be resolved peacefully. And let me put this into very simple terms, very simple terms, because I can I I think I pretty much understand what the Germans are asking for. All they're asking for is to stop this, stop this before it gets to a spot where no one wants it to go. Because if you don't stop it, then it does go that way. We'll talk more about that when we get to Agenda 2030 this week. But they're asking people to be peaceful and to simply show a presence. Do do you know what's going to happen if they have, let's say they go to 200, let's say they stack another million on top of it. Say they've got 2 million people up there. Next time you got 3 million, then 5 million, then 10 million people standing at the Brandenburg Gate. What are you going to do then? You see, this is the third protest. That means there's going to be many more if they don't stop doing what they're doing. And they'll get bigger and bigger and bigger, and you'll wake up more and more people And people will get on board with this the more you clamp down. You notice you're starting to see that, as you put it, Bruce, they're starting to clamp back down on things. All that's going to do is piss people off more. Mm -hmm. I can assure you, I can assure you, as as sure as I'm sitting here, this is not going to go well for the elite. This isn't going to end well for you. The smartest thing these people could do, I've been saying this since Trump got elected. See, Trump, Trump's a... (laughs) Trump's in the way, right? That's what he is. Whether you like him or not, it doesn't matter. That that's that's what they have against Donald Trump. He's in the way. He has to be gotten rid of so they can move forward with this agenda. He wasn't supposed to happen. He came in at the 11th hour and <laughs> he just kind of screwed everything up. So I've been saying this since Donald Trump got elected. The smartest thing these people could do since then, I mean, this is pre-pandemic. You know, a few years ago, I was saying the smartest thing you people could do is just leave. Take what money you've stolen and leave. That's the smartest play you could make. Stop doing what you're doing. Okay. But yes, that's coming up on the 29th in Berlin, and we'll continue to keep an eye on that. And man, I'd really like to go up there. All right. So let's uh, let's get off of this Corona stuff. So we, we've had a, a long discussion there. It's like a half an hour on Corona stuff. So let, let's get off of that. But uh, okay, you got one more thing. You, you got one more thing on Corona. Like there, yeah, it, it's about a restaurant. kind of Corona. Yeah, it's it's kind of Corona. So there's uh-huh. a a fast food chain, Colombian fast food chain that is, well, they're, they're, they're taking a gamble and they're going to try to automate as much as they can of the restaurant. So it's, uh, the entire chain, I believe, uh, which I, 30 restaurants, uh, in, uh, 34. Yeah. I, I don't know how many restaurants they have all together, but, um, they're looking at making it entirely automated. The only thing obviously that they're not going to have automated yet would be like the the cook. You know, that would take some extra um doings to do that. But they have fully automated kiosks to make your order, fully automated um uh payment methods uh like ATMs, you know, takes your card, takes cash, whatever. And then when you pick up your food, they have these little cubbies that all have numbers on them, yeah, and you just, just a pod thing. Whatever. Well, it's not it's not really a pod necessarily it's just 
basically where the cashier usually is or you know the the register and everything so the kiosk the um, touchscreen kiosk they've had those here for a while yeah the, the, they're doing this to all the restaurants though uh i mean they've been testing this in the u.s and some places i think i think they were testing it in like seattle at one point like mcdonald's was or or you know up there in the the northwest they had tested this but this company's doing all of theirs so they'll have the kiosks they'll have the, the atms and then when you go to pick up your order um, it'll, it'll tell you like the, there's a screen that'll tell you, uh, your order's ready, what number it is. And then you'll go to the cubby with that number and you just take your order and you're out. And, uh, it allows everybody to social distance. It doesn't have any contact, which it does cause they're touch screens, but, uh, no contact as far as interaction with human beings. So there's a reduction of spread. Nobody has to talk or any of that. So yeah, it um, they're 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 banking on this idea. We knew this was coming anyway. As far as going automated, it's cheaper in the long run because you don't have the overhead of paying for the employees. But they're also wanting to do cooks. You know, the they, they want the cook to be automated as well. And we've seen kind of uh, some some tests and and ideas of this and and experiments with it. And you know. With the next couple of years, we're going to see restaurants that are fully automated. And the only staff you'll have on hand is, you know, like cleaning or, you know, someone to make sure that the machines don't crash. So more like a technician. You know, I've heard for a few years now that the entire fast food process can pretty much already be automated. The only thing you actually need someone there for is added to the the, the things you just said would be to unload a truck and put the... Um, the stuff in a machine or something to that nature, but everything can be done automated. As I said, they've had the touchscreens where I'm at for a while in McDonald's and Burger King. You just walk. I, I was at a okay. I was at a hotel in Cologne. Uh, where was uh, when was it? Uh, it was uh, two years ago. I was up in Cologne for something, and I stayed in a hotel, and there was nothing where I was. Right where the hotel was, there was nothing except for a like three blocks down. There was a McDonald's. That was it. So I, I was back to my hotel. It was late. I took the train, right? The train dropped me off and at the station. I, I couldn't get to the next stop down because there was construction at the station or something. So I had to take an Uber down. So I take an Uber down to my hotel. I get to my hotel and I'm, I'm asking the desk clerk. I said, is there a place to eat around here? Can I get something? They said, well, there's the machine here, the vending machine. But the only thing that's here is McDonald's. It's like three blocks that way. And so I go down to McDonald's and I'm like, man, it's just I... I you know how I am with McDonald's food. I just can't do it. I just can't do it because I don't actually consider McDonald's to be food. To be honest with you, that was the last time I was in one, I think. And I ended up getting like, uh, I think I got like a couple of apple pies and a vanilla shake. I think that's all I got because that was all I could stomach. It was exactly that. I walked in and it was a touchscreen. There was no one there. There was a, someone in the back and there was someone that brought the food up and then put it on the thing. And the number changed on the on the thing. And that was it. I walked up to a touch screen. You touch the flag of whatever country you're from. So it comes up in your language. You type in what you want and you put your card or your cash in the side. And then someone calls your number and there you go. And you're out. But I mean, yeah. that's a step. That That's a step. It's already here. Yeah. So they're, they're saying, though, this is it's not just about, you know, COVID and all that. They're also saying this is cutting down on the food that gets thrown away. Right. So uh, Traditional restaurant can throw away up to 30% of, it, of, of its food, right? Whereas they're saying with this system that they have in place, they've cut that down to 2.7%. 
And they're saying that's still a lot, but as far as the industry is concerned, it's far less. They're also saying that with this, they're able to basically keep track of how much uh, product is being consumed, how much they need to order, you know, uh, so they'll, they'll basically be able to better regulate things as far as getting new orders. And as they were saying, throw away, um, it, it reduces it by a large margin. So in a sense, it's more cost effective as well. But man, you know, we, we've talked about it. it. It kills a lot of the starter jobs when you do that. It does. And you're not going to get $15 an hour. You know, I mean, you're going to that's the crowd we usually see the fight for 15 for from. Right. So you can, yeah. you can argue you can argue $15 an hour all day long. The companies are going to pay you $15 an hour until they can figure out how to replace you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. OK, so that's that's a Colombian chain that's doing that. You said that's not a U.S. Yep. or a EU chain or anything like that. Nope. Nope. That's uh, that's an that's a Colombian chain. OK. Hmm. Interesting. Is that how you're supposed to say it? Bogota, Bogota. Colombia. I don't. I, I, I don't know how you're supposed to say that. I, I'm not. Not sure. I, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, GP would know. He's been down there. Yeah. Uh, they also okay. have some chains in Mexico City. Do they? Yeah. Branches. I don't know what you call it. Yeah. They're also saying that the uh, the the price for the dishes are actually pretty cheap as far as American standards. Hmm. Two dollars and well, twenty yeah. cents. Yeah. Different different standard down there. But I mean, you have to think about it yeah. though. I mean, what's the average income down there? It's a lot lower than right. than ours. Right. So, yes. So let's jump over to California. We love mm-hmm. California, don't we? We love that place. Mm-hmm. All the restrictions mm-hmm. and everything they've got. All like they've closed. Th- did you know they closed beaches in California for six months? I mean, I don't know that. How how how, how do they have the authority to do that? They don't. They just do it. So other I, than I BLM, that, but yeah, I heard that. I heard that last night. They closed the beaches for six months. Uh, okay, so. California, a California assemblyman, okay, a California assemblyman has proposed a new idea, right? This is this is innovative, Bruce. This is innovative. This mm. is this mm. is really I mean, this is progressive. This is progress right here. This is moving society forward. Okay. Now under this plan, under this plan, this is a this is your favorite kind of tax. Okay. This is a wealth tax that's been proposed. All right. A wealth tax. Now, under this plan, residents who leave the state would still have to pay taxes for up to 10 years. See, they're going to get that money. They're going to get that money. Friday, this proposal was put forth by California Assemblyman Rob Bonta. And his proposal is to institute a 0.4% wealth tax. That's the key to all this, is a wealth tax. So this is to be put on people that are worth more than $30 million. He proposed a tax that affects about 0.15% of the California population. See, it's just, a, it's not even, it's not even a quarter of 1%, right? I mean, it's not even a quarter. It's, it's, it's just a small group of people up here, okay? I mean, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Not the top 10%, not the top 1%, but the top... 0.15%, which is only about 30,000 people, and would generate $7.5 billion in revenue for the state. Well, I find this interesting because he says his proposal is to institute a 0.4% wealth tax on California residents worth more than $30 million. Okay, well, his tax would affect only 30,000 people. So you're saying you only have 30,000 people in the state that are worth more than $30 million? That's it? That's all you have? Because maybe that's all you have left. Okay, I can see that. But he's come out and he said, this is his quote. He says, in California, we've had taxes on millionaires in the past. We raised taxes in 2012 by 3% and they're going to do it again. 
And the number of millionaires and billionaires in California has grown. So wait a minute, you raised taxes on them and then it grew. But according to what you just said, you've only got about 30,000 people that are worth more than $30 million. So more people came. I I, I don't understand. He's contradicting himself. We have 25% of the nation's billionaires, 17% of the millionaires. And those numbers are up and we've grown to be the fifth largest economy in the world. So while worthy of consideration, it has not panned out. This tax right here, this tax is going to be proposed in a phased approach. Okay, a phased in approach. He says that we have to make sure that Sacramento recoups its share from the income of a California resident who leaves the state. They're going to get that money. This is legalized extortion is all this is that this guy right here should be should be arrested for racketeering. That's exactly what should happen here. He says, if you move in year one, 90 percent of the tax bill applies the following year. It drops to 80 percent and so on until it's phased out to zero. So you're going to pay a tax for 10 years. This is not an income tax. See, he's making it sound like this is an income tax when he's talking about, oh, here's the number of people that are millionaires and over there uh, they earn over a certain amount. And here's the percentage of people that earn over that amount. He's not talking about money that you earn. If they had to pay tax on income in California in certain places, if you're a millionaire or billionaire, then they wouldn't be there. See, they get incomes from other aspects and things, so they're able to kind of spread it out. So that's not their primary source of income. So they don't pay that tax. That's how they're able to just kind of dodge it. But what they're after here, they're after the business people. That's what they're after. They're after the job creators. They're not after someone like Sean Penn, who lives in Malibu, that makes $200 million a year. They're not after someone like that, at least not yet. They're after people that own businesses. That's what they're after. That's what this guy is. This guy's a hitman for small businesses. Because if you're a millionaire, let's say you're worth $30 million, okay? But, well, I mean, it, let's be honest. In today's world, that's not a lot of money, okay? No. That is not a lot of money. If you're worth $30 million, do you know what that is? That's a small business owner. That's what that is. If you're worth $50 million, that's a small business owner. You might employ a couple of thousand people or a couple of hundred people. That's it. That's what they're after. But see, it's not, like I said, it's not an income tax. This is a wealth tax. This is something completely different. Bruce, you want to explain what a wealth tax is? So basically a wealth tax is where all that you own is taxed. So it's not just like property tax and automobile tax. It's also what kind of flooring do you have in your house? What kind of appliances, you know, the type of furniture, what kind of, God, I I mean, what kind of clothes you own, what kind of shoes? I mean, everything you own is taxed, everything. So essentially what they'll do is they'll come in with just that small tax and they'll tax everything you own, as you said. And then next year they'll reassess, right? Because it's going to be an annual tax. It's not going to be a one-off. So they'll reassess. And they'll tax you again. You say, "Okay, well, I won't own as much. All right, that's fine. But they'll tax that. And then they'll tax again and again and again until guess what? You've got nothing left. So it's always going to be taking and taking and taking under a wealth tax. It's it's not a tax you can avoid. And now they're talking about taking this from people that leave the state for up to 10 years. How are you going to enforce that? How on earth would you enforce that? Oh, I know you get the IRS to adopt it federally, right? That's the best way to do it. That, that's just my guess here. Constitutionally, it doesn't fly. None of it does. Yeah. I mean, to your point, how do you enforce it? Like, that, that is the, exactly the question. Because, for example, if you lived in California and you moved out, they're saying that anybody that left within the last decade, well, you all are going to have to pay taxes, this wealth tax. How are you going to enforce it? You don't have the power to, like, garner wages. 
That's that's an IRS level thing. That that's a Fed thing. You can't do that on a state. At state level, are you going to say, well, you know, you you owe us this money? I mean, number one, people are going to move out just because you're talking about doing this if they understand what a wealth tax is. And number two, people that might have moved there in the first place are now going to be like, yeah, no, we're out. We're we're not going to move there. We're going to go somewhere else. So, I mean. Maybe this is a wake up call for 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 you people that live there. Maybe you should recall these people and vote someone else in that isn't wanting to raise taxes on you. Maybe you should vote someone in that. I don't know. Maybe is a little bit conservative uh, in the sense of having physical budgets and, you know, or or how about wanting to reduce the spending or maybe no reduce taxes. You I don't mean, need yeah, to do just that. Kind of a thought. See, Bruce, you need those programs. You need those programs. The government has to run those programs. You got to help people. Don't you want to help people? Mm. So for fun, I took the um, the $30 million, $30 million today. Yeah. We, we said it's really not a lot of money today. Mm-hmm. That was less than $2 million back in 1930. Not a lot of money. It's $1.9 back then. I mean, you not know, a lot of money. back then it was a good chunk of money. You could get quite a bit with that back in the day. But nowadays... At 30 million, it'll go, and, if you, it'll go quick. If you survive the crash of 29, yeah, maybe. Right, right. Well, it was 1930, so it was right after. Right after, yeah, okay. Well, well, yeah. to be, f- well, kind of. I mean, the crash happened in December of that year, so late December at that. Yeah, so, right. Anyway, okay, so uh, 33 yeah. is when it hit You said again, something about went, went voting out. out. Yeah, you said something about voting out a mayor. Do you know what's going on in Seattle? So Carmen Best. I, I just heard a rumor of it. Yeah, she just she just resigned because of yeah. everything that's going on with the uh, uh, with the you know shakeup of the police department, and the cutting, and the city council cut her salary, and it was a significant cut. It was like a hundred grand they cut off her salary. What's she supposed to do? Yeah, and that's that's a lot of money there, especially in that city. Like that that oh, is oh man, it's essentially you can't live there anymore. So no, essentially, they were saying you're fired without actually firing her. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So. What's going on now? The city of Seattle, the citizens of, uh, of Seattle, they went out and they got 50,000 signatures. You ask, OK, well, what they get 50,000 signatures for to institute a recall vote on the useless mayor, Jenny Durkin. That means that she can now officially be recalled and they can have an emergency election and they can have her voted out of office, which that's our way. That's how you do things. You have the right as the citizenry to go out, gather your signatures and have an emergency recall. They tried to do it with Scott Walker a few years back in Wisconsin. You remember that? I do with remember. Her, yeah, with her. Yeah. With her, it's this other thing, right? It's this uh, decisions of what's going on in the city and how she endorsed the Chaz thing and left the citizens to pretty much fend for themselves and to be tormented and, and hung out to dry and extorted and abused. And yeah, it was just, it was terrible. So she should be thrown out on her behind. Mm-hmm. So- what does she do? She runs off to the state Supreme Court and tells the state Supreme Court to block a recall, like the recall clause. No, no, no. I don't want the citizens to be able to recall me. No, 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 no. Uh, lady, you can't do that. You cannot do that. Your sick degenerate self and your horrible policy, your horrible stances on things, the way you betrayed your own constituents, that is what's going to have your sorry behind removed from office. So I hope the citizens of Seattle can actually get rid of this woman and then do what mm-hmm. you said, Bruce, get someone in there that actually gives a damn that's going to do something. Hey, wait a minute. There's someone who just happens to be unemployed who just got fired. I wonder if she would want the job. Yes? No? 
Carmen Best for mayor of Seattle, maybe. I I, I don't know what her politics are. I, I have a she's feeling she's a law she's, and order candidate. Yeah, it does look like she's a law and order candidate. Uh, but I, I don't know how she is on like, is she good on like taxes and that that sort of thing? And what what were I mean? So in, in at least in the short term, immediately she's what they could use as far as um, uh, law and order, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. Well, which is what they need right now. They need law and order because yeah. Yeah, people I, I don't think they care about anything else at this point because people are they're appalled at the out of control crime. And you've got an out of control city council that need they have to be stopped. They have to be stopped. And the only person that can stop them is a mayor vetoing the bills. That's the only thing that can stop them. So they need someone in there that's going to restore law and order. They need someone in there that's going to support the police, someone that's going to ensure the community that they're actually doing something to protect them. That's what people are looking for right now. And this woman clearly isn't it. I'm not talking about best. I'm talking about Durkin. She clearly isn't it. So anyway, I hope that um, I hope she can be recalled and I hope she can be thrown out democratically. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I agree. Because that's legal and that's our way. So anyway, unfortunately, we are out of time. We're going to have to jump out of here again. Another hour that just flew by. So uh, yeah, it did. We're going to have to go. For those of you who have not, you'd like to, please do give us a follow on the social media platform of Parlor. Love hearing from you. Love getting your feedbacks, your likes, your echoes, your comments, all of the things that you do send us. We really do appreciate it. Uh, and we do respond to you, even if it takes us a little bit of time. So thank you all for the feedback that you've given and uh, keep it coming. We appreciate it. Uh, you can follow me over there at Jay Anderson 3 You can follow Marty at Marty Foster. Also, if you'd like to drop us a line and you don't want to get on to social media, you can do so by dropping us a line at tips at dynamicindependence.com. Uh, and you can address it to whoever you like around here, and we'll make sure that uh, we'll make sure that they get it. Also, for those of you that do listen to us regularly, we really do appreciate that. We thank you all very much. Love having you as a listener every day. And if you could please pass us along to friends and family uh, and tell them about us, we would really appreciate that. Especially some of the topics we got coming up this week. We just want to provoke good, healthy, truthful, accurate conversation within people's circles. That's all we're about here. So uh, we would really appreciate it if you'd pass this along. We're on pretty much just about every platform out there that's available where you get your podcast with the exception of SoundCloud. They don't really like us. And I'll continue to say that they don't like us. If you do get a chance uh, and you would like to, please do hop over to wherever you get your podcast, however you listen to us and give us a rating over there. We would really appreciate it if you would give us a five star rating. Thank you again for that. So thank you for your time today, Bruce. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you and we love freedom and independence. And together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow. 